of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not what I used to be. Amen. Let's take our Bibles again. We're going to turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 2. Apparently, we are, have been in a, in a, a series um, from, uh, from the beginning, uh, maybe an in-the-beginning series of God's creation. And uh, we've learned the past few weeks that God created the heaven and the earth. Amen. Uh, we learned that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, six 24-hour days, which is important. And we've, we've learned that, why that is so relevant scripturally, and why is that relevant to God's creative plan, and why that is relevant uh, to the subject that God created the heavens and the earth. We also learned last Sunday morning, wasn't it, that, we, that God created Adam and Eve, and they are historical figures. That means they are real-life human beings. It's, it's not an allegory. It, it's not a fairy tale story. It's not a folk tale. It's not like Snow White. No, it is an, well, they were actual people. Uh, they were flesh and bone, Adam and Eve, and we discussed and preached, and you listened how relevant that is to our lives and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's no Adam, there's no Jesus. If there's no Adam, there's no sin. If there's no Adam, there's no need for the gospel. You see how important that is. Uh, so we're going to go a little further. Don't know how long, even if there'll be another one next Sunday, I'm not sure. But I just always want to preach what God lays on my heart. Amen. So the book of Genesis, chapter number 2, we're going to see, beginning at verse 18, that God created human relationships. God created human relationships. We could also say it this way, that God created the family. God created the family. We got a, we got a couple of couples getting married uh, in our, from our church. Um, and Jenna and Jordan are getting married the 19th of this month. And then, uh, and then Brody and Callie are getting married in October. So uh, we think about, I think about them, and that's the start of a new family. That's what it is. A, a marriage is the beginning of a new family. It's uh, two, two people becoming one flesh. It, it's, it's, it's the beginning of a brand new family unit. And we're going to see that this morning, how God created the human family. Verse 18, if you there, say amen. Amen. And we're also going to go to Mark chapter 10, so just some heads up. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord formed Every beast of the field, and remember this is a summary of what's already taken place. And every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And so there was no animal that was suitable for Adam. No animal that was suitable for Adam to be in a relationship with. He was not to be in a relationship with an animal. So the Bible, from the beginning, and I didn't even realize this until just now, the Bible has given us a pattern that human beings are to be in a relationship with other human beings. And so the pattern is not bestiality. You might think, well, that's not relevant yet. It certainly can be if we keep on the slide. 
So the pattern here is that Adam is to have a relationship with another human being. And so much so that God creates a human being so that Adam can have a relationship with. So in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And see, if you're facing surgery, God's, he's a surgeon. We trust in him, amen. The first surgery was performed in verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. If you turn now to Mark 10, the Lord Jesus is, is reaffirming this creative, this creative pattern, this creative design. What's, what's awesome about this is, remember, this, this, this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking. And so he is speaking here from experience about creation. It's not like he's merely a prophet that's saying what God did. This, remember, is God describing what he did. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. Remember, let us make man in our image from Genesis chapter number 1. So Jesus is describing what he did because he was from the beginning. The same from the beginning was in the beginning with God. And so this is Jesus in verse 6 of Mark chapter 10. I've been quoting it often the past few weeks. Jesus says, but from the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Wherefore what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Heavenly Father, thank you for your eternal word. And I pray, God, that this word of God would be, would be our worldview. That we, Lord, would stand upon Scripture, that this would be the absolute truth of our lives, that, Lord, this would be our conviction, that we would realize that the word of the Lord endureth forever, as Peter said, and that, God, that this would be our source of what the world is like and what you created it to be, and we will stand upon it in love, with conviction, with truth, without error. Help us, Lord, today. Help me to preach. Lord, help us to hear and to receive, Lord, this word into our lives this morning, because this is the word of God. Jesus, we pray, Christ, in your name, amen. You know, everybody gets along good with Christianity. Everybody gets along good until Christianity opposes what someone believes or cherishes. And then Christianity is condemned or persecuted. It's been that way from the beginning of Christianity. It's been that way from the first century. Rome had no problem with people believing that Jesus is their Lord. But what Rome, the Roman Empire, had a problem with was that Christians were saying that Caesar is not Lord. You see, they wanted to coexist with one another. Rome is fine as long as Christianity didn't, didn't discredit its worldview. Rome's fine. You do what you want. Caesar is fine with Christians until Christians said that Jesus is Lord. And there was no other God beside him. 
And we can't confess that, G- that Caesar is Lord because Jesus is the only Lord. We can't go to the temple of the goddess Diana and worship her because there is no goddess Diana. There is only one Lord, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is when this began to be noticed that Christianity was saying something, that Christianity was standing for something. The world got along just fine until that that realization began to be obvious. As, As long as Christianity stays in its lane, we won't bother it. But the moment that Christianity begins to vocalize or preach or define what its message is, what the truth is, then there's a problem with it. And that has always been the world's problem with Christianity. And so the world always wants to dictate what Christian doctrine is. That's been that way from the beginning. The world says you can be Christian, but you can't, you can't be this way or that way. That you can be Christian, but you, you can't deny or you can't go against what is, the, what is the narrative of the culture that surrounds you. And so the Christian church is the light of the world in that sense is that we are a light in a world that is trying to dictate the rules of the game. That we are are in opposition to the world. And we might as well get used to that. Because we can't be truly Christian in in the orthodox, biblical, Christian, following Jesus sense and also have fellowship with the world at the same time. Those two things cannot coexist together. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does Christ have with Belial? What, what do, we have no fellowship with that at all. And so the world has always been fine with Christianity until Christianity is definite and precise in its Christian biblical beliefs. And that is when opposition always begins. And so this whole series, come to find out, has been what? It's, it's been not so much that the world is an attack on creation. That, that's a symptom of something greater. What is the greater issue? That the world is in opposition to the Word of God. The world is in opposition to what God says. The world is in opposition to the, to the Christian, biblical, orthodox, 2,000-year the 2,000-year stance on what Christians believe, that we believe, Judeo-Christian even, that God created the heavens and the earth. And so the attack isn't so much on that. It's an attack upon God. It's an attack upon God's Word. And therefore, it's taking God out of the universe, if you've been listening. And so the problem is, is that God, God is their problem. So, so you can be whatever you want to be, but don't speak of anything in absolute terms. Because if anything is absolute, then that means there is a lawgiver. If anything is, 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 is precise and it's in boundaries, then that means there is an order to creation. So the problem that the world always has with Christianity is that it's fine until Christianity disagrees with them. Don't be shocked, and I want to say this again, don't be shocked that Christianity has biblical convictions upon society, upon upon truth, upon relationships, upon creation, upon, upon everlasting life. Don't be shocked that the Christian church has convictions. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, 
God created it in six days. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And this morning, in the beginning, God made, He created a biblical pattern for human relationships. And specifically, for human marriages. Now what do we learn from these two passages that are obvious? Well, the the big one is, is that God created it. God created marriage. God designed marriage. It is a creative institution. And what do we see very clearly? The obvious is that God created it, but, but number one is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now that means that marriage is heterosexual. Now it's very obvious and it's very clear. And again, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to make you to notice something that immediately that statement is provocative in today's climate, isn't it? Don't be shocked, again, that Christianity has an orthodox conviction upon God's creative design in marriage and creation. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be surprised by that. So marriage is obviously God made Adam, and he made Eve. And I want you to notice an important word in chapter 2 of our text in Genesis, in verse 24. So after God made Adam, and he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he made Eve from Adam's side, in verse 24, there's this important word, therefore. That means, because of that, shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So that means that this is a pattern. It's not just describing what God did with the first couple. It's a therefore. That means for this cause, for this reason, God is is establishing a a, a pattern from the beginning and that from this point on, marriage is a man who leaves his father and his mother and cleaves unto his wife. That is from this point on. That's what that means. So it's a pattern. So marriage is to be heterosexual. Number two, marriage is to be between one man and one woman. That means marriage is monogamous. It's not polygamous. Adam didn't have two wives. Adam had one wife. So marriage is heterosexual and marriage is monogamous. It's between one man and one woman. So not only is marriage heterosexual and monogamous from the biblical creative pattern. And now don't say, well, wait a minute, there's other relationships, there's this and that, that the Bible even speaks of. The Bible speaks about all types of things, but that doesn't mean that that is God's biblical pattern and design from the creative pattern and establishment. So marriage is is heterosexual, marriage is monogamous, and, and marriage is also binary. That means marriage is between two assigned genders. Mark chapter 10, if you'll go back there. So marriage is heterosexual, it's monogamous, and marriage is also binary between two assigned genders. Look at verse number 6 of Mark 10. But from the beginning of the creation, God made, notice that, God created them male and female. So we we have a male, a biological male, and we have a biological female. And for this cause shall a man, there's his gender, leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, who is of the female gender. So we have a 
male who is a man and we have a female who is a wife. And these two unite together to form marriage. So marriage is heterosexual, it's monogamous, and it's, it's gender binary between a male and a female. But notice also that marriage is permanent. Notice the word cleave in our, in our text. They are to cleave together of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So marriage is designed to be permanent. And Jesus even affirms this even more in Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so marriage is designed to be permanent. And so this is God's creative pattern for marriage and family. So this isn't Josh's, this isn't my truth, this is God's truth. It's, it's not West Side's truth. It's, it's, the, it's, it's Orthodox, Biblical Christianity's truth. It, this is the Word of God. But humans have perverted this. You understand that. We, we even feel that, we even know this by life experience. We all have come short of this, amen? All of us here today have come short of God's biblical creative design in marriage. All of us have. We have perverted it, all of us. And why? Because Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. And when they fell, what happened? Sin brought death. Sin brought misery. And sin has corrupted us. Sin has, has sadly, it hasn't left any part of our being untouched or untainted by sin. So sin has corrupted us. And because we are corrupt, we go into human relationships, and we have theologically, biblically, because our sin nature, we have a flawed nature that needs to be redeemed through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And even Christian couples need to constantly affirm their marriage scripturally, make sure, am I right with Jesus because we all, all of us, have come short of God's biblical pattern for marriage, amen, and human relationships. Here's how we perverted it. Well, fornication. Fornication is, is, is sexual activity before marriage. That is a perversion of God's pattern for human relationships, amen? That's not what, that's not what Genesis described. There's no, there's no fornication here. That's not what Jesus is describing in Mark 10. So fornication is, is, is sexual activity before marriage. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Hey dudes, if you can't keep from touching a woman, you should get married. You should get married lest you burn in lust. So if you can't handle it, you get married. And then what? Then you can have, you can have safe, sexual, spiritual relationship because Hebrews says that the marriage bed is undefiled. Amen? You still with me? You think, well, this isn't relevant today. How is this not relevant today? <laughs> this has never been more relevant than it is now. Amen? So here's how humans have perverted God's pattern for human relationships. We, we, we've, we've, practiced, we've practiced fornication. How else can one do it? Adultery. That is, that is sexual relationships after you're married with someone who you're not married to. That's also a perversion of God's biblical pattern of marriage. Amen? 
There's also, as, as I mentioned, marriage is to be heterosexual. There, there's homosexual relationships. That is marriage with, with, with whomever within the same gender or, or biology. And that is not fitting for God's biblical plan and pattern, His creative design in marriage. Amen? So, so that all three of those are a perversion of God's creative pattern for marriage. Amen? Now, before anybody gets all righteous in here, if you've committed fornication, you've also come short of God's biblical creative pattern for marriage. Amen? You've done it too. Or if committed adultery, you've done it too. Or committed homosexuality, you've done it too. So if you might think and be righteous, you say, well, I'm a heterosexual, I'm good. Have you committed fornication before marriage? Then you have also gone against God's creative, biblical pattern for marriage. You have. You certainly have. But here's the good news. For It's awful heavy, isn't it? Here's the good news. Fornication can be redeemed. Amen? A fornicator can come to Jesus Christ and be born again and forgiven of all their sin. Amen? Isn't that good news? It sure is. An adulterer can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and repent and experience the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good news, ain't it? A, a practicing homosexual, just like a practicing adulterer, just like a practicing fornicator, can come to repentance through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they could repent and believe the gospel, and they could get born again by God's amazing grace. Amen? And that is what we want, isn't it? That's what we want. We want that. But let's be clear. A practicing adulterer's sin cannot be affirmed by the Christian church. A practicing fornicator's sin cannot be affirmed by the Christian church, nor can a homosexual's sin be affirmed by the Christian church. We cannot rejoice in iniquity Notice this too. A Christian can struggle with fornication, condemning it, all the while not affirming it, can't they? Say, I I messed up, Jesus. I'm confessing my sin. I understand I have come short of your righteousness. I'm struggling with something. Any Christian can struggle, listen carefully, with any sin... But the difference is, is the affirmation of that sin. I want to say it publicly and openly in front of everybody. I condemn all of my sins. And I pray to God that He hurries up my sanctification process, don't you? Because I am tired of sinning. I despise my sin. I condemn my sin. I hate my sin. And I'm not joking. This isn't an example. This is real. I despise it with everything that's in me. I I hate it. And if you're a Christian, your heart says, Amen. Because Josh, we have a lot in common. I hate all of my sin. And I even despise that I'm capable of being tempted by that sin. I condemn my sin. Amen? 
You see, as I mentioned from the beginning, the problem is, is that everything's fine until the Christian church stands upon a truth from the Word of God. And then trouble begins. Amen? Every one of us, don't get self-righteous, every, this is a quiet building today, amen? Say amen, Jay, amen, yeah. <laughs> There's a war going on, you know it? There is spiritual warfare going on against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? There is, there is. All of us has come short of God's biblical, creative pattern for human relationships, haven't we? All of us have. That's why Jesus said in Luke, is it 1910, 1920, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. What is that, what was lost? God's initial design for humans, humans in a right relationship with God Humans who are following God's creative plan. Humans that have been separated because of sin. Jesus is coming. He came to restore that which was lost to bring us in a right relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. And what happens when somebody gets born again? They don't affirm their sin anymore. They hate, they condemn, they despise their sin, and they pray, and they read their Bibles, and they repent, and they confess, and sometimes, let's be honest, it is a 20, 30, 40 year struggle, isn't it? And we are being sanctified because we so bad because of a new nature. Hey, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I once was. It don't mean I'm perfect. It means the attitude of my heart has changed through repentance and the new birth in Jesus Christ. And that soul who is yet to be perfect, even earthly, wants it so bad. Wants it so bad. We've all sinned and come short of God's creative pattern for biblical relationships, haven't we? You know, the Christian church does a lot of thing, does a lot of fussing about what isn't right with other people when there's a lot of those things being broken even within the Christian church. Let's just all agree, amen, that fornication, adultery, homosexuality is outside of God's creative pattern for human relationships, amen? And the good news is, is that all of sin to come short of the glory of God, that's the bad news, but the great news is, is that you can come to Jesus Amen. in repentance and faith Amen. and be born again. Amen. Amen. Be born again. So what is the gospel saying? No matter what your sin is, you'd leave your affirmation at the door. Do you see it? And you... Come to me just as you are. Narrow, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to righteousness. Amen? Not a popular subject today. Amen? This is the Word of God. Amen? It is. The world has, especially the last 50, 60 years, has tried to normalize... Perverse human relationships. 
And it's an attack on the Word of God. It's all an attack on the Word of God. Hath God said? It's all that. Because if, you, if, you, if this loses its credibility, then the Gospel loses its credibility. You take God out of the universe, you take Jesus out the cross and out of the tomb. If this loses its truth, and it's all about this, so there's been an attack, especially the last 60 years, let's say, give or take a few, against what? God's creative human design of human relationships. It started with fornication. Do whatever you want to do until you get married. And then it began, if you're not happy, do whatever you want to do within marriage. And then it began, do whatever you want to do with someone of the same sex. And what is all this? It is an attack against God's creative design and relationships. And what it's saying is trying to take God away from your human relationship. Just like taking God out of creation. It takes God out of the universe. It takes God out of marriage. It takes God, between, it takes God out of a husband and a wife in holy matrimony. And then what do you have? You don't have family anymore. Then we can't train up children in the ways of the Lord. And then the, what do we have? Stats that play this out. We have that over, over uh, 70%, over 70% of children that grew up in a home without a mom or a dad or a, or, a, or a family that's not within God's biblical pattern, even if they're not Christian, you take the dad out of the home, it explains 70-something percent of all violent crimes. You take the dad out of the home. It's almost like there is a a planned attack against God's creative design, isn't it? I want to say this. Do you not see what's going on? Now here's what the devil does. If, if I speak against adultery, or if I speak against fornication, or if I speak against homosexuality, I now am an intolerant, bigot, hater. That's what that means. And it's, it's a... It's a deceptive language. It's, it's, it's an attack against God's truth. But really, what I am trying, I'm trying to shepherd you. I really, I'm trying to pastor you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring us under this conviction that yes, we love our neighbors as, as ourselves, but we don't sacrifice scripture and doctrine on the altar of kindness. We stand upon the word of God. Let, let, me, let me try to illustrate it. Somebody in my family is in an open, adulterous relationship. They're, they're still in my family. I still love them. Amen. I still care about them. But you know what I really want for them more than anything else, Virginia? I would be worried about their soul. I'd be worried about their eternal destiny. I'd be worried about their relationship with God. I'd be worried about, do they know Jesus? Because, you know, since I met Him, my life's been changed. You see, all this is connected. You still with me? 
2 Corinthians 5.17, Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, You shall know them by the fruits that they bear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all the way, like 9, 10, and 11, speaks about, hey, you once were these things. Don't be deceived. You cannot do these things and inherit the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means since you became a Christian, something happened to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses at least 1 through 10 that you were dead in trespasses and sins. You did walk according to the course of this world. You did everything the lust of your flesh wanted. But God, through His grace, for by grace He is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You are what? You've been made alive. You've been born again through the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means if someone is born again, I'll go back to it again. They're not what they used to be. Their life's been changed. Why? Because they straightened up. No, Titus said, not by works of righteousness which we have done. No, not by that at all. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You still with me? Here's what Christianity is. I want to remind you again. It is not something that you like pick up and carry for a while and set it back down. It's not like you put on a jacket and take it back off. Christianity, the gospel, is something that's happened to you. It's right, Wiley, something happened to you, didn't it? It's you met a resurrected Savior. You knew then in that moment that things are going to be different. You, you have an earnest of expectation. You gave you a down payment. I, I'm going to do something with your life. You are filled with the indwelling Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit indwells you. And what does He do? He changes you. Remember, Jesus is not without consequences. Nobody who really meets the Lord Jesus Christ will go on like everything's the same. Nobody will. Nobody who believes on Jesus and receives Him as their Savior. Nobody will go on life as if everything was like it was before that happened. You know why? I can say, can't you believe her? As Paul the Apostle said, I am a prisoner of Christ. That I, I can't get away from Him. That He's in me and I'm in Him. And the, it is life. It, it's, it's more than just even, oh yeah, I made a commitment. No, Jesus Christ is life. He's life. I, I, do you see? So, go back. If I have someone in my family that I love dearly and they're in an open, unconfessed, celebratory relationship, an adulterous relationship, any form, but it's funny, you pick a certain word and put it there, well, how dare. But let's say it's just that. Any form of a human perversion outside of God's biblical pattern for family, you know what I'd be worried about what? I'd be worried about their soul. Because... People who know Jesus, yeah, they're not perfect and they struggle with sin, but they hate, despise, and run from their sin. And just to tie up a loose end, Christians do fall into sin. You know that? They fall into fornication. They fall into adultery. And even a Christian 
can struggle with the lust of homosexuality and condemn it in their heart, just like someone who struggles with lust. Jesus was tempted in all points, evidence we are, but yet without sin. But Jesus, who dwells that believer, they might stumble, they might fall into sin, but they will not live in sin. And you might be here this morning and say, wait a minute, I'm living in sin. Well, here's, what I, here's what I'm trying to communicate by God's help in His Spirit. Listen, if you are living in open, unconfessed, celebratory sin, no matter what it is, is no matter what it is you cannot enjoy the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ you can't you say well wait a minute and I'm not then you say well I'm saved brother Josh then that ought to straighten you up amen say really yeah because Jesus said in John chapter 10 my sheep hear my voice and they follow me my sheep Hear my voice and they follow after me and a stranger they will not follow. Amen? Amen. That's what Jesus said. So again, is this the word of the living God? Yes. Yes, it is. Now I'm closing. If I had a family member in an open, celebratory, unconfessed relationship, inappropriate, no matter what it is, that doesn't matter. I'm not talking about struggling with something. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of every Christian. Do you struggle with a sin? Now don't judge somebody else. Don't think you're better than them because you struggle with a different sin. Oh, well, my sin's better than their sin. Come on. <laughs> <You're> de- <laughs> well, it ain't that sin. Oh, that makes you righteous. You're an axe murderer. You cut some family up in a hundred pieces. But he ain't doing that. You're not an axe murderer, are you? Amen. Are you against it? Amen. 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 Here, I'm closing. Don't let the world take the Bible from you. Don't let them take it. For the fifth time, if I had a family member, no matter what they're doing, I'm not so much... Because they're already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. It is a symptom of something greater. You're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the devil's got us all distracted. You know that? It don't matter what it is. If someone is affirming and celebrating a lifestyle of drunkenness, you know what that we say, well, they shouldn't be doing that. No, what you know what it really means, Pete? It means they're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's what we're talking about here. You say, well, you you don't you're against people doing whatever they want to do. No, Bryson, that ain't it at all. That ain't it at all. As a matter of fact, as a part of me, that's not even none of my business. But what is my business? I'm worried about that means that you're not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what the law was given? One of the things it's given for is so you might be aligned against it and you find out next to God's straight and holy righteousness according to his law that you're as crooked as a snake, you're as bent as a dog's hind leg 
And then you find out through God's eternal word that the soul that sinneth it shall die. And anyone who doesn't keep any of these sayings of mine, if you break just one of them, let them be accursed. And James says, if you've broken one of them, you've broken them all. And what does that mean? The wages of sin is death. Here comes the gospel. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're talking about Jesus. I'm not talking about fornication. I'm not talking about adultery. You still with me? I'm not talking about homosexuality. Don't get distracted. This is about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Amen. So the worst thing you could do, the worst thing the church of Jesus Christ can do is sacrifice the gospel on the altar of being nice when our loved ones and neighbors and friends and family are burning in a lake of fire for all of eternity and just for the simple sake that we didn't want to celebrate or affirm any of their sins and they don't know Jesus I have, I have friends and family just like you do of all sin spectrums, don't you? <laughs> you? You know all kinds, don't you? You know all kinds. Listen, the Christian church isn't here to condemn the world. It already is condemned. We know all kinds, don't we? There are neighbors, our friends, our nieces, our nephews, our daughters, our sons, our moms, and our dads. Let's open our eyes and not get distracted. All, we got friends, family, don't we? All of us do. Don't matter. We're talking about Jesus. Church, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Here's what we shouldn't do. Let's imagine our church was in a pasture field and we got all those people over there on another pasture. And to cross the gate, you've got to come through biblical truth. To get into this pasture, you've got to go through a narrow gate. But we think we want those people over there. We want everybody in the church. And so here's what, here's what the modern church has done. We enlarged our pasture because we wanted those people. But what we've done is we've sacrificed God's pasture field. Yeah, we got all those people over there. We widened the fences, and now we got all those people. But to keep all those people, then we're in trouble because we can't Preach clearly what thus saith the Lord. Instead of wanting them to come through that narrow gate to join our pasture, the church has enlarged its pasture. But we don't own that land over there. That ain't our, that's not our property. And here's another thing. We're not the husbandmen. We're servants. We're, we don't even own it. It's not even ours. It belongs to Him. And we've, we've enlarged our boundaries to make sure we include and what have we sacrificed, though? The Scriptures. Do you see what's happening? And you know what? Now they can't have everlasting life because that narrow gate, we've watered it down. You can't even find it because now the gate is broad. It's a big old double wide. You could pull a dually through it. It was a little gate. Now we can't even see it or find it. Yeah, we've... we've uh, we're not confrontational anymore. I'm not talking about being mean, nothing like that. That's not my heart. We got, we got more people. 
But we can't preach repentance and faith in Jesus Christ because what would would the world be repenting of? We might change truth, but the truth is... We might change our truth, but the truth is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father, Jesus said, except by me. What did Jesus mean? And I'm closing... We're going to preach this tonight from the book of Mark as we're preaching through it. Repent and believe the gospel. (laughs) Repent. Of what? Here's what the world says. Ah, just, you know. What is Jesus saying? Repent. Now, you might ask, and it should, and I'm closing. That we have questions then. Does that mean I have to repent perfectly? Does that mean I have to straighten up perfectly? Hey, there is no perfect human repentance on this side of glory. But here's what repentance means. You need to change the way you, you think. It's a change of mind. It's this coming to this realization. I know that I'm in a wrong position. I know that I've been wrong. I know that I am sinful. I know that I can't save myself. I know that I'm in error. I know that God's word is right. I know what Jesus said is true. I know he is the only way. You better straighten up, Josh, but I can't. I can't straighten up. I know all this about me, but I can't straighten up. I know I shouldn't be a drunkard, but I can't straighten up. I know I shouldn't be a fornicator, but it's lost and it's eating me. I know, I know it. I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's why Jesus says, but I can. But I'll do what you can't do. I'll sober you. You know, it might take a month. It might, some of us might take a year. Some of us happens exactly when it happens. Some Because all of us struggle. But Jesus says, hey, if you're under that understanding then, if you know you need a Savior, if you know Jesus died for your sin and He lives forevermore and He wants to live out of you what you can never do on your own, if you've come to that understanding, that's repentance. Then Jesus said, no wonder He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, Amen. I come to call sinners. I come to call those who are sick because they that are whole don't need a physician. The gospel is at stake here. Yeah, his repentance, I am broken and miserable. I understand that now. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And Jesus says, you come to me. And this is where faith comes in. You still with me? Jesus I believe you died for my sins. He died because it's wrong. It needs to be punished. It needs to be condemned. It needs to die. But you don't want to die for it. So Jesus says, I'll die in your place. I receive your punishment and death for my sins. Why? Because they're wrong. Because they need to die. And they need to be punished. You see what's at stake? It's the gospel. I come to you because I know I'm a guilty, deserving sinner of death. But Jesus, I receive your death in my place. But I want to live forever. And you said I could live forever if I believe on you and Jesus. Watch this. Jesus says, I know, but they buried me on the third day. I arose from the dead and I live forevermore. And my life will be in you. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm talking to you today. I'm going to give you a brand new life. A brand new life.
repentance and faith. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. What song are we going to sing, Bryson? This morning, today, maybe you was distracted by the start of the sermon. This is about the gospel. This is what's at stake. This is about Jesus saving sinners from their sins. This is about Jesus loving adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals and drunkards and addicts and blasphemers and goody-two-shoe church members who think maybe they're better than everybody else, but... Amen, you're not. And if you think you're better than anybody else, that's even almost worse because you think somehow God owes you righteousness because you did something good or you straight. But what about all the rest of the stuff you've done? And what about the sinfulness of you think that God owes you something? God don't owe you nothing, amen? This morning, if God has spoke to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen, I got good news. It don't matter what you are. It don't matter what you did. It don't matter what you did last night. It don't matter who you've been with. It does not matter. Amen. There is not a human relationship that has been perfectly righteous. Amen. Some of our marriages have, we've made mistakes in our marriages. I'm glad there's grace, aren't you? I'm glad before we even knew all the information, we messed up, but I'm glad there's grace, aren't you? Listen, maybe this morning you you just want to come and Ask the Lord, as a Christian, you want to confess some sins and you want to get right with Him. What does that mean? You're getting on His side again. He knows what you did. You're you're affirming that you've been wrong and you want to be back in a right relationship with Him and fellowship. You didn't lose son or daughtership. You lost fellowship. You come this morning if that's you. And even more importantly, if you've never been saved... If you've never been born again, maybe you'd like to chat with me. Maybe you'd like to say, I want to, Brother Josh, I want to be saved. If you want to come and talk with me about that, I'd love to share you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, let's not forsake Scripture. Let's not forsake it. Be loving, be kind, be sympathetic, be affectionate, be gentle, but let's not reject Scripture. Amen? Amen. Let's sing together.